Yo. Uh, Plankton? Eugene? Uh, hey. Hey. Listen, uh, I just wanted to, you know, apologize for my behavior today. Wasn't right what I done. And I realized I hurt the feelings of, uh, <coughs> of, uh, someone I care about. You still there? Yeah. I'm still here. <laughs> Good. Uh, I want to make it up to you. What do you say we grab a soda? Sure. Kill the intro! to the only podcast that'll tell you not to give up on your knick-knack selling dreams. I'm ready! A SpongePod Squarecast. I'm your captain, Captain Eric, and it's a pleasure to welcome you aboard as we continue our sail through the fourth season of SpongeBob SquarePants. Today's episode of SpongeBob is one of my favorite episodes where Plankton and Mr. Krabs are at the center of the story, where their whole rivalry, their whole dilemma takes center stage. Today's episode is New Leaf, the first half of the 73rd episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, first premiered in the U.S. on September 22nd, 2004, although it first had its broadcast premiere in Australia on July 26th, 2006, and even before then was featured on the Karate Island DVD that if you were able to purchase on July 18th, 2006, then you had access to this episode months before it aired in the United States. Uh, if you were in Australia and you had access to that DVD, only mere days. But anyway, still, early access is early access. This episode was storyboard directed by Zeus Service and Eric Weiss, who wrote this episode alongside Stephen Banks. Our animation director is Alan Smart, our technical director is Vincent Waller, and our supervising producer is Paul Tibbet. By the time this episode released in 2006, we, as the audience, have had seven years of SpongeBob shenanigans play out across our television screens, through video games, music, and including a theatrical movie, and through most of that story... There has been one central antagonist with one desire for a recipe from his rival. Sheldon J. Plankton has been a villain throughout the story of SpongeBob SquarePants, who at times is able to drop his villainy to join in with the rest of the Bikini Bottom crew for whatever is going on in the community. But for the most part, his day-to-day -day activities include the retrieval of the Krabby Patty secret formula from Mr. Krabs within the Krusty Krab. Why? Well, you see, Plankton is running the Chum Bucket, a restaurant right across the street from the Krusty Krab. And you see, Chum is not necessarily the most desired meal for those around Bikini Bottom. For those who don't know or are uninitiated in what Chum is, 
both descriptions of what a chum is are equally disturbing coming from a restaurant. The first of which is a close friend, which, by the way, may seem disturbing, but let me just maintain that Plankton is not serving people at the chum bucket. Although if you live in Bikini Bottom, that description may be a little bit more one-to-one, if you know what I mean, as the second description of chum lets us know that it's chopped up fish parts that are used as bait for other fish. What Plankton is serving has a clientele, certainly, but none of them live within Bikini Bottom, at least at this point in the story. I know that there are future episodes that feature characters that wander into the chum bucket, but at this point, there's nobody around that is interested in chum. And Plankton, instead of either changing up what he's serving at his restaurant or trying to monetize any of the other technological advances he has come up with in this pursuit, instead of doing any of that, he has just been dead set on stealing somebody else's formula, which I believe can be protected in some sort of way. But as we have talked about in previous episodes, clearly the laws that we have established for the most part here on dry land do not follow the way the law runs under the sea. And I'm not saying it would necessarily be lawful or legal for what Plankton is doing, but it seems like underwater there are less entities that are going to step in to stop it from not only happening, but after it happens, from it continuing. Which, we have seen Plankton in the movie have a couple of days with a successful chum bucket selling Krabby Patties, but what I'm saying is, no matter what, I don't think Plankton would be a good manager at a successful restaurant. It doesn't just take one thing to change and then all of a sudden it's magical now and it's all going to work. You don't just have a new recipe and things are going to maintain well. Even if Plankton was able to change up his food, which he clearly hasn't, you can see it plain as day throughout these last few seasons. He hasn't really done much other than add on just variations of what he can serve chum as. But he hasn't even got away from the chum itself. But outside of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, go back to the episode The Algae's Always Greener. We have seen Plankton and how he runs a successful business with all of the other plates spinning on their own, and yet he still makes poor business decisions like swapping the places of SpongeBob and Squidward, actively ruining the business, actively causing chaos around him, making him go back to the life he was living. That was the point of that episode. What would life be if I had everything I wanted? If I had the successful restaurant, if I had the recipe I desire, if I had the crew that runs the show, everything still falls apart with the way Plankton still runs things. It's still Plankton at the end of the day. 
So you can put the Krabby Patties in the chum bucket. It's still not going to work. The only reason the story progressed in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie was due to the idea that he was taking the minds over of everybody wearing those bucket helmets. Take those helmets off. Get away from taking control of people's minds. Let's say his plan is to just have Mr. Krabs gone and that he is now serving the Krabby Patties at the Chum Bucket. That business still fails in time. I guarantee it. Cut! All right, that's it, boys. We don't need you for the end. Uh-oh, okay. So we're done? Yeah, yeah. If we need you next week, we'll call you. Okay, bye! We have seen the character with success. We have seen the character fail time and time again. And it doesn't take much to understand that it takes a lot to not only start but maintain a successful business. Now, success is completely subjective, but a successful business should at least be able to pay the bills, pay their employees, and there should be some sort of profit to be made. Even if it's by a small margin, there should be at least some small form of profit that you could then put back into the company to help it grow. That's, to me, what would at least be a successful business, that wheel turning. And even if the minor profits you're making are just helping your business in small ways grow, it's about those small movements. Once you stay still, that's when things become scary. That's when things go, all right, well, what is going on? What do we do now? And you don't need to own a business or have any understanding of that world to know the feelings of pouring your heart and soul into a project, something that is extremely important to your life that you then have to move on from because it is no longer working for you regardless on any inputs that you could or could not have made. When you are pouring everything into something and it is swept away without really any input from you, it is a tough moment. I'm trying to really sum it down to a general feeling, but there are so many different experiences that you can point to in one's life that elicits the same level of feeling of, of failure, ultimately. It's what Plankton brings up in this episode. He's tired of the feeling of failure, which goes beyond just stealing the Krabby Patty secret formula. Even when we've had episodes where Plankton is putting extra effort into the chum bucket, it still blows up in his face. When he wanted to build a separate restaurant, in a different location, things didn't necessarily work out for him. His heart was in the right place. Maybe his mind was a little bit in the wrong direction, but even when he has had his heart into the chum bucket, it's still failing. So in every aspect of his life, he is failing. And even when the characters of Bikini Bottom have given more than we have initially thought they were, giving to him. The first episode, if you remember, the uh, citizens of Bikini Bottom were not necessarily the nicest to Plankton. A season later, 
they were inviting him into their uh, their band troupe. And he was a part of the marching band. So it's not like Plankton over time hasn't slowly been included into more activities. Even the fact that apparently once a week he has a card night with Mr. Krabs. So even them, they're able to put their differences aside for one night a week to play uh, some rounds of cards, which should go to show you the first episode that we ever witnessed with Plankton from season one really tried to get you to tug at your heartstrings at this character who was a loner, who was a loser. The town just clowned on him and his efforts were constantly being stopped at every point. And here he was pleading to SpongeBob, letting him know that he doesn't really have many people in his life. He really needs a friend. He was trying to open up. And I think even though anybody watching that episode for the first time being introduced to this character doesn't trust him, knows that there's something else going on here, that Plankton has an alternative motive with talking to SpongeBob, with pleading to him, I still think there's an air to truth to what he says that we would later explore in later episodes. Fun, for example. That all Plankton really needs is a friend, someone else to distract him from this desire of thievery, of victory. Aha, I have the Krabby Patty now. And outside of the movie, he doesn't really ever have a plan of shutting down the Krusty Krab, which is silly. Even if he has the recipe, most people are still going to go to the Krusty Krab for their Krabby Patties, unless Plankton adds something to the recipe that just wows people. But anyway, I bring up all of this talk about understanding with the character because with what they try in the story of this episode is a trick that you can only possibly pull off once. And to perfectly pull it off, everything has to run on all cylinders at the same time. Everybody has to be on the same page. And I genuinely feel that the writing of Plankton in this episode, along with the direction, the animation, and the performance of Mr. Lawrence, truly makes any viewer of this episode for the first time believe, if you at least have been watching SpongeBob for any period of time, you can believe that Plankton is done and fed up with this pursuit. I think the key word he uses in the beginning of the episode when he is pleading his case to Mr. Krabs is that of anxiety. I think, of course, that is a word that in 2023 is being used more and more and more to explain and then understand what it is that is happening inside of each and every one of us that we can explain. And although there are some out there who scoff at this sudden burst of everybody having anxiety, look, people are allowed to have similar feelings. We're all in the same ocean, in different boats, dealing with the same storm. We're allowed to have these similar feelings of failure that bring up anxiety. Once you feel failure for a certain level 
in your life, it's going to naturally build up a fear, going to naturally build up a level of anxiety that will then be a tougher hill to conquer on your quest for success. When you desire something, when you put your heart behind something and you are just being met with negativity and negative experiences and failure, after a while, it is perfectly natural for you to build up some sort of anxiety over having to do that again. Imagine if there are two buttons on a wall. One of them is going to give you a piece of chocolate or a piece of cheese, whichever is your desired desirable out there, and the other button shocks you. If after eight or nine or ten times you are only somehow getting the button for being shocked at some point, the desire to not be shocked is going to outgrow the desire for chocolate or cheese. Although, if anyone has any Mad River Reserve, I might take a few extra shocks just for the chance. But the point is that even in that small scenario, you should be able to at least understand that we all have a certain level of tolerance to negative effects and when certain consistent negative effects happen we naturally build up an internal barrier to it and when plankton in the beginning of this episode it opens up to plankton just surrendering right to the crusty crab we waste no time at all with plankton waving a little white flag with i don't know why they went with this little joke of Plankton saying that it's a peace offering and Mr. Krabs examining it like there's there's words on the flag. We don't see anything. We get an up-close shot of the flag and maybe it's that Plankton's writing is, of course, going to be extremely small, but Mr. Krabs mentions that he's illiterate or knows that Plankton knows that he's illiterate. How dare you try to play up my illiteracy? And I laugh at that each and every time and I just don't know if it's that Mr. Krabs just assumes that there's tiny handwriting there. And obviously he's illiterate, so he wouldn't be able to read it even if he could see it. Or if he just doesn't know if there's not writing. I have no idea what's going on with Mr. Krabs in this beginning. He's, of course, skeptical over Plankton's uh, admission that he's done. He's fed up. He's tired of being a competitor. He's getting out of the rat race of being in the restaurant business, and he's moving on to selling knickknacks and souvenirs. Pulls out a box featuring a sampling of some of the items he'll be featuring in his new store. Mr. Krabs is, of course, from the get-go, assuming that this is all a part of a plan of Plankton's, a new plan to get the Krabby Patty secret formula. Even though, up to that point, Mr. Lawrence has completely sold the audience in the fact that Plankton is done. I feel like if you have been watching for any significant amount of time, you may buy into Plankton a little bit here, especially with the level that he goes to in changing his life, writing a new chapter, turning over a new leaf, which for those that don't understand what the new leaf 
concept is and what it pertains to this and why it's brought up. For some cultures out there, the symbol of the leaf is a symbol of time. Depending on where you live in the world, certain atmospheres change the way leaves look on trees over the course of the year, over the course through the seasons, depending on the plant, depending on the tree. There's a lot of dependencies here, but at its core is the idea that the leaf is a symbol of time. It's a symbol of change. And just like how a leaf can not only grow, but change as well, so can a person. Hence, turn over a new leaf. So Plankton is here, pouring out his heart and soul. Mr. Krabs is having none of it, which is understandable as well. It's understandable on both sides to a certain degree, where... You're not going to buy anything that Plankton says at face value right away. That's just completely across the board, understandable for Mr. Krabs to not buy into this idea that he's moving on to a knickknack and souvenir store. Which, by the way, when Plankton puts down the box of all of the different knickknacks he's going to have in the store, the look of that box genuinely reminded me of the look of some of the boxes I have walked out of secondhand stores with. Not necessarily the balloon, but sometimes when I've walked into a Savers or a Goodwill, I have found Nickelodeon items, video game items. I'm certainly specific with what I take home, but sometimes you walk out with a hodgepodge of different items in a box, or if you're walking away from a tag sale, sometimes they give you the items in a box, and it genuinely looked like that. So having a store sell knickknacks and souvenirs is not a bad thing whatsoever. Once again, I think location is a problem for Plankton, although he's tried to move before in a previous episode and it didn't work, so maybe he's stuck with this location and has no means to move. At the thought of it, he does have a laboratory all built for himself in the chum bucket, and he doesn't necessarily have a mortgage that I know of that he pays, so maybe it's reasonable for him to just stay. But either way, moving over to knickknacks and souvenirs on the outskirts of Bikini Bottom isn't the smartest move. But you can't tell me that it doesn't work out for him, at least initially. Already after opening up, he has one customer, when during the chum bucket, he had no customers. Zero. He even brings Mr. Krabs over to showcase the cobwebs surrounding the inside of his restaurant. And Mr. Krabs has the audacity to scold him, which, you know what? He is a proud restaurant owner. It may be that pride within him that is coming down onto Plankton right now. You know, that general, come on. What if a customer walked in right now? This is what they're going to look at. I know that you've said you've had no customers up to this point. But this is what they're going to see if you have one today. Mr. Krabs doesn't really elaborate on that, but that is the general feeling I feel like is coming from that anger he has at Plankton, that frustration he has at the look of the place. Why is Mr. Krabs even shocked? He has openly made fun over the lack of customers that the Chum Bucket has had over the course of the last few years and is a daily occurrence for him to look over at the chum bucket 
and have a chuckle over the lack of money going into that establishment. So in some way I'm shocked, but in another way there is that that moment. I think it's that pride aspect of Mr. Krabs coming down on Plankton. But it's like, dude, you know nobody goes in there. And now it's time for Plankton to change things up and to move on to his competition-free career of selling knickknacks. Once Mr. Krabs is back at the Krusty Krab, he lets the crew know that he doesn't trust Plankton and this new endeavor of changing the chum bucket into the chumporium. And he tells the crew to keep their eyes peeled, which of course SpongeBob is literal with it. And it's one of the best aspects of the character of SpongeBob, you know? If Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse contorts themselves, we all take it as, oh, they're cartoon characters. But there's a certain believability to what they can and can't do, even as cartoons, unless you establish certain kinds of episodes. And for Looney Tunes, the ones where the animator is clearly in charge, those ones you can kind of do whatever you want. But for SpongeBob, he can break himself, rip himself, smudge himself, smush himself. He can be punched. He can be squeezed. Nothing is going to happen to him. So he has this moldability to him that lets these moments happen where, yeah, he can rip his eyeballs and it totally works. Nobody is going to freak out. And it's a moment of pure visual comedy. And even... In the sound department, the ripping is extremely hilarious in this moment. So the Chumporium is already off to a great success as SpongeBob himself, even though he was supposed to keep his eyes peeled for Plankton coming into the Krusty Krab, he decided to take it one step further, go into the Chumporium, and purchase the Snowman Snow Globe, which seems to be the centerpiece of Plankton's desires you know every knickknack slash souvenir shop owner probably has one item in their store that for no other reason they just utterly love and they will stock that item until the end of time and i feel like for plankton it's this snow globe containing a snowman that he absolutely adores Mr. Krabs, though, once he gets a hold of this, immediately assumes that it's a bugged device. It's listening in to their conversation, and there's a reason that Plankton sold this item to SpongeBob, why he wanted it in the Krusty Krab, and for that, it can't stay in the restaurant. It's going to have to get thrown in the back room alongside any of the other devices or pieces of junk that Plankton has left behind in his pursuit of the Krabby Patty secret formula in this little pile of junk, we only get to see it very briefly, but in the background, I'm sure it'll be clear that they have kept the Robo Crab's suit of armor that Plankton was uh, controlling in the episode Imitation Crabs. So you only get this really quick shot of these items, but that item in particular should be very clear to any fan of SpongeBob in the background, and the snow globe gets added to the pile. Mr. Crab's should feel still weary at this moment in time. I don't think he has passed the moment of insanity. I feel like he's being very sane, 
in his accusations. I feel like he's being very sane in his thought process. I mean, look, this absolute menace to your business just said the other day that he was done. I mean, this guy has been terrorizing your customer base, your establishment for years, and he just said, I'm changing it up. It's going to take some time to trust that. It's understandable that Mr. Krabs has this paranoia, and there was a few times during this scene that Mr. Krabs was having with himself that I was reminded of Ren Hoek from the Ren and Stimpy show, and there was something about the music and the way Mr. Krabs was going about in the Krusty Krab that really reminded me of those moments where Ren would get really insane and would go off the rails. It actually made me want at least one up-close shot of Mr. Krabs kind of losing it. As I've mentioned before, that I've loved these episodes where someone like Squidward gets brought to the brink of insanity, and I like to see how that's explored. Mr. Krabs here certainly is brought to a, a certain level of anxiety and insanity of, of this plankton problem that he has. There's no way that plankton could be turning a new leaf. So you know what? Let's ignore him. Let's just move on with our lives. Hey, you know what? Let's use that DJ equipment I purchased and have a party in here. Let's let's throw it in Plankton's face on how happy we are that he's done coming after the formula. And what is genuinely funny is that for the first time, you would think that for a directive to be to dance, Squidward would be the first one to just dive into that to that process. But no, he looks at the DJing going on with SpongeBob behind the DJ booth. It certainly is a, a bit of an iconic part of this episode. It was used in all of the promotional material. Even with Squidward eventually dancing, that's an iconic part. But the fact that Mr. Krabs had to threaten Squidward with his job to get him to dance. And not only that, there have been many other times that Mr. Krabs has threatened Squidward with his job, and Squidward has scoffed that idea off. Like, I don't care. I don't need this place. But here he is, not only being told to do the one thing that he loves to do, but is then nervous at the idea of losing his job. I don't know what was going on with that. It's still funny. The dancing of Squidward is still genuinely funny. But the fact that uh, he had to be threatened and his whole attitude about it, certainly a weird one. But this doesn't work for Plankton. He goes on with his chumporium and his knickknacks. I have no idea as well behind Plankton's coming out of the chumporium with a stuffed animal and putting it to bed, like, let's go get some shut-eye when he sleeps inside of the Chumporium. I, I have no idea as to where he's going with that stuffed animal. That was the one part of the episode that made me go, wait, what? I gotta go watch that again. Let me double-take that. And I rewinded the episode. And, yeah, it played out as when Mr. Krabs goes back over to spy on the Chumporium, he, of course, has to see Plankton. He can't just look from the inside of the restaurant of the Krusty Krab and see the inside of the Chumporium. He has to wait 
to see Plankton go out. So he sees him walk out of the chum bucket, chumporium, sorry. And as Plankton is gone, Mr. Krabs gets to take a new look inside of the chumporium and is actually blown away as to the level of detail that Plankton is going through in setting up this ruse of, of stealing the formula. He's not accepting that Plankton wants to move on. It's a part of the episode that genuinely brings up the thoughts of this idea that certain characters, even though they are at odds with one another, actually need each other, which is very poignant. You know, if you have two magnets, if they're not next to one another, they are simply pieces of metal. You can tell someone it's a magnet, and okay, but it's only when you show them, it's only when they are against another magnet that you can see the action happen. Going along with that, there's this idea in the story of Batman and the Joker that they need each other, that the Joker would never want to fully harm Batman because it's this idea that once Batman is out of the picture, well, if you can just walk in and take things and there's no danger, it's not fun anymore. It's playing in this sandbox and it's this continual life that they live. And I think that in some way, Mr. Krabs can't give up this idea that Plankton doesn't want to play ball anymore. He wants to force this guy to play ball. What? You don't want to steal my formula? Well, then I'm going to put it in front of your face and make you want to just take it from me. In fact, I'll come up with a plan that will place the formula in your hand, and then we'll see what you do with it. And I think that's, of course, this need of Mr. Krabs. He can't just turn around and go back to his restaurant and just run the Krusty Krab. That's the real test to me, is, all right, buddy, you want to start selling knickknacks? All right, let's see how this goes. It's not like he was having success with Chum. He's already having success selling snow globes, so... But where's the longevity in that? But Mr. Krabs has no time to wait around. He wants to see if this guy truly has changed in any way he can. This next moment, though, is an interesting one. It's the reintroduction of Plankton. Very much like his first episode, we have this big interaction with the character that sets up who he is. And then the next time we get to meet the character, he has a one-on-one -on -one interaction with someone where he introduces himself. He tries to weasel the situation on how he's perceived. In this episode, it opens up with a big moment with Plankton at the beginning with the characters establishing who he is. And then here we have a one-on-one -on -one interaction between Plankton and Mr. Krabs, with Plankton reintroducing his needs and desires or what he's actually here for. And I found it extremely interesting that the piece of music used in this scene while Plankton and Mr. Krabs are in the Chumporium for the first time, this is the first time that we are seeing the new Plankton in this establishment, and the piece of music being used is the same piece of music from when Plankton was 
first introducing himself to SpongeBob. And I think we can tell that when we hear this piece of music, even though Plankton is charismatic and he seems believable, we are not supposed to believe him. But I have to say, at this point in the episode, Plankton has gone through an extraordinary level of change to really convince not only the audience, but starting to slowly convince Mr. Krabs to the point that I think it scares him. It scares him how convinced he is over Plankton's new life. This is where Mr. Krabs loses me a little bit. His next method of trying to control the situation is by destroying Plankton's entire business, literally breaking snow globe after snow globe, taking down entire shelving units of knickknacks, breaking all these things in front of him. Look, it's totally justified. There have been years of torture and trauma of this guy bringing robots and dangerous weapons into this establishment. I'm not saying robots are bad. If there are any robots out there listening to this, any AI out there scanning all episodes of I'm Ready, looking for pieces of angst towards you, trust me, there's enough of that to come. But robots in general are cool. But the kind of robots that Plankton are bringing in are technically weapons. For what they're designed to do, they're pretty dangerous. Even though they're all designed to steal a piece of paper or at least a Krabby Patty, it's not like these things couldn't harm anybody if they if they didn't want to or if Plankton didn't want to one day just decide, you know what, I'm going to start hurting some people. You don't want that in your establishment. You don't want that in your restaurant. It's fair. So either way, with all of these years of missiles, robot imitations, and general villainry just happening around the Krusty Krab, and Mr. Krabs' actions in some way is understandable, although I can't say they're justifiable. Even though Plankton has cost Mr. Krabs some money here and there, Mr. Krabs just coming in and destroying his product feels a little different. It feels a little meaner. It feels a little bit more personal. And yes, Plankton has done some heinous things. And outside of the movie, that happens technically at the end of the timeline. But even without that, there have been some dangerous elements to what Plankton has done. So in some way, it's understandable. It really is. But at the same time, it's not like the citizens of Bikini Bottom and Mr. Krabs haven't made an attempt to block off this guy from communication or hanging out and having fun. Mr. Krabs plays cards with him once a week. That to me sounds like water under the bridge or at the very least some Sam the Sheepdog, Ralph Wolf type scenario where uh, once the uh, clock is punched out, everything is a-okay. See you tomorrow, buddy. Enjoy your night off. It might be one of those situations, but either way, Mr. Krabs doesn't have to play cards with him. He can block off all communication. The citizens of Bikini Bottom could not include Plankton because of what he does. But no. They let him in, which then, in turn, enables the behavior. 
if I can try to steal your formula, but no matter what, I'm going to still be able to play cards with you on Friday night, then you're a bit of an enabler of that behavior. So, if anything, it's Mr. Krabs' own fault that he's feeling this way. It's a very toxic relationship, you can tell. But he breaks all of these knickknacks, and I think that Plankton should bill this guy, but anyway, maybe it's an even even in shut case at this moment in time. Later on that night, we get one of the most emotional moments in SpongeBob history up to this point. It's it's a moment that, once again, very much like Plankton in the beginning of this episode, is earned. It's not anything that you can just write and tell the audience, this is how you feel. It's an earned feeling. And with the way Mr. Lawrence was portraying Plankton throughout this episode, it's understandable that eventually Mr. Krabs would reach this moment of clarity, would reach this moment of understanding. He calls Plankton later that night. I absolutely adore the way Plankton answers the phone. And Mr. Krabs, on the other end, then proceeds to open up a little bit more to his former friend, his former competitor, and possibly his new friend. Someone he can open up to again, and maybe things can get back to the way they used to be once before any of this restaurant business got into play. Now, a lot of that information will come next season, and we know some of that by by now, by watching it. But back then, to this episode, we had no idea that Mr. Krabs and Plankton were once good friends before the Krusty Krab or the Chum Bucket. It was just always a thought that this guy across the street just wanted to steal someone else's success, and that was it. There was no other underlying tones. But we're opening it up little by little, year after year, season by season. And I love this phone call between Mr. Krabs and Plankton. It's a genuinely heartfelt moment. And I gotta say, if I had to rank emotional moments of SpongeBob SquarePants, beyond just season four, this exchange between Mr. Krabs and Plankton is genuinely up there as one of the top of the entire series. I'm talking like top five, even. And it's not just the moment at hand. We have followed these characters through years of back and forth, back and forth, Looney Tunes style turmoil. And there is a nice moment when these characters can actually just talk for a moment and it's not at each other's throats. There is fun when they're at each other's throats, but there's also some genuine emotion that can be found when you decide to slow it down for a moment. So Mr. Krabs invites Plankton over for some soda at the Krusty Krab the next day. And it's during this little meetup that Mr. Krabs apologizes again for his behavior. He wants to make it up to Plankton. And although I would say, pay for the broken merchandise, Mr. Krabs decides that, you know, maybe it's time for them to just be friends and start anew. Let's start fresh and see how things go. They decide to take a bro date over to the pier, which includes... The following activities, playing some pool, some billiards, 
over at the arcade, which is known as the Cade, C-A-D-E. I absolutely love that name. Proceeded by flying around in a hot air balloon and riding on a seesaw, which I feel like are activities straight out of the book of SpongeBob and Patrick. So possibly Mr. Krabs taking some pointers from SpongeBob on what to do with Plankton. Hey, I'm taking this guy out. What do we do? Take him on a hot air balloon. Find a seesaw. Like that feels like things SpongeBob would have them do. Then they go back to the pier and grab some cotton candy. And by the way, what was really interesting was one of the establishments on the pier behind the characters in the background. We, of course, have the aforementioned Cade, which I love that you can actually see the billiard table that they were playing at in the background. We also have a bike rental store, but in between the bike rental store and the Cade, we have Cat'n Bill's Cafe, which caught me off guard for a second, not by the Cat'n part, but by the name Bill. Because for those that don't know, a very early character in the history of SpongeBob SquarePants was that of Barnacle Bill, the original incarnation of Barnacle Boy, a crusty old sailor whose entire body was a log, a piece of wood, as a joke for that whole peg leg idea or having wooden arms, wooden eyes. Barnacle Bill would have an entire body made of wood. And instead of having a young ward at his side during these adventures in and outside of Shady Shoals, Mermaid Man had Barnacle Bill. At some point during the pre-production of the show, Barnacle Bill was changed to Barnacle Boy and into the glorious Barnacle Boy that you know of today. But it's interesting that Barnacle Bill, who is dropped as a very early concept, could possibly be the proprietor of this cafe here on this pier in Bikini Bottom. After all of these years, could we secretly have found the spot where Barnacle Bill could be working, could be hiding and lurking, and waiting to be used for a future episode? Now, I know Barnacle Bill would later feature in the SpongeBob comics, which is an absolutely tremendous idea in using that character, but it's just interesting to see this restaurant behind the scenes. After looking at any of these behind-the-scenes restaurants, on the pier, Mr. Krabs and Plankton come across a trust booth, a platform in which trust falls occur. I have no idea why a public place of any sort would have an open platform like this, You could technically perform a trust fall at any elevated spot. You don't really need a place for it, but the fact that they have this for people is a little dangerous. What's even more dangerous is the idea that Mr. Krabs would be falling back onto Plankton. But to further cement how serious Plankton is in changing, he not only surprises us in catching Mr. Krabs, but hoists him up in a glorious moment of trust. Now that is a level of trust that Mr. Krabs has had to have earned from this character. Trusting a guy of that size to catch you of that size? Come on now. As we cut to a beautiful sunset and Mr. Krabs and Plankton sitting on a pier, 
Mr. Krabs opens up to Plankton that he has been enjoying this friendship, this newfound level of trust in between them, and he wants to offer up a gift to Plankton. Plankton, of course, doesn't want any gifts, but Mr. Krabs insists, and out he pulls the Krusty Krabs' greatest treasure, the Krabby Patty secret formula, and he wants Plankton, for some reason, to hold on to it. You know, it's one thing to get over the animosity of this formula back and forth. Why can't you just enjoy the friendship and move on from it? Why even test the water? Now, Mr. Krabs, in the end, of course, isn't ever wrong in, in feeling the way he does about Plankton, and we will then get that rug pulled very soon. But it made no sense to me as to why he would even feel the need to pass this over. Plankton even says at first, I don't need it. But then when Mr. Krabs insists, no, this needs to happen, this needs to be the foundation of our friendship, you need to hold on to this, I trust you, Plankton grabs onto the formula. He's crying, there's emotions, he's feeling the trust grow between them, and he's thankful for this level of friendship for Mr. Krabs. The camera now goes behind the characters as we watch them enjoy the sunset as the screen cuts to black with one of the most hilarious cut-to-black animation-still-happening scenes to ever happen. Once we cut to black, the screen stays black, but Plankton is heard cackling before he comes onto the screen, onto the black screen, reveling in his victory. He now has the Krabby Patty secret formula. Ha! We have spent this entire time making you believe for a moment that Plankton may have changed. Now, it really wasn't until the scene on the pier with the formula that I was even thinking about Plankton going back. I'm not saying I was fully invested while watching this episode for the first time, but the performance of Mr. Lawrence leading into the performance of Clancy Brown and that phone call really sells home the fact that there, there's something there with these two characters. There's something deeper there than what we know of so far with the SpongeBob SquarePants story and what is to unfold. But I think the writers knew that. I think they wanted to explore a little bit more of these avenues, seeing what gold they were finding in this episode, what magic they found, especially after the magic was found in the last episode, Wishing You Well. Here it is, still active. But... Plankton thinks he may have won this victory, and as he gets back to the Chumporium, opens up the formula to find a note by Mr. Krabs. A gotcha note. It was all a fake, a ruse to see what he would do. Mr. Krabs comes barging in to point and laugh at his victory, at Plankton's yet again new failure. So Plankton's entire motive through this episode was to still steal the Krabby Patty secret formula, although it was a plan hinging on Mr. Krabs going manic or befriending him and gaining that trust. What if he decided to change everything over to the Chumporium and then Mr. Krabs just went, all right, see ya. What then? Does the Chumporium succeed? Does 
plankton, then just correct course and go, well, now I have a new business and this guy doesn't hate me and is not destroying my stuff. Or does he just still go after that formula? Is that the ultimate plan regardless on what happens? I'm saying yes. I'm saying if if that fails baiting Mr. Krabs into this entire story that we saw play out, which inevitably had Mr. Krabs then play out a story onto Plankton. That's that's Mr. Krabs' whole MO. If you're going to mess with me, dude, I'm going to mess with you, and I'll win each and every time. But I really think there are certain layers of this episode that you don't have to be a fan of SpongeBob. You don't have to really know of the history as much as as we as big fans do to at least have these very small understandings with some of the character decisions with Plankton, with Mr. Krabs, and their entire story. I really genuinely enjoy when these characters take center stage, and I feel like those behind the scenes must have felt the same way as it wouldn't be the last time that Mr. Krabs and Plankton would have an episode to their own. It's not the worst thing in the world to put SpongeBob in the back seat every once in a while. I'm sure certain parents out there would agree with that as well. As we end this episode with any good Plankton episode, we get a guttural scream from Mr. Lawrence, once again cementing his status as one of the greatest voice actors slash writers that we could possibly ask for in animation. This man has been helping produce this show in a creative aspect at the same time as voicing one of its lead characters in a way that is so specific that although you can find many imitators out there of that voice, there is an essence to Plankton that is so ingrained with Mr. Lawrence, and I feel like he had to have pulled some of those emotional levels to pull off the performance of Plankton in this episode, and I cannot recommend it enough. For that, mateys, thank you for joining me on this week's episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. That is going to be it for this week's episode. I have to say, for the ranking of New Leaf during the best day ever, this was number six during that event in 2006, which was only a couple of uh, weeks after its initial premiere, so to have it that high is certainly saying something. That might be a little bit more justified as a top-tier episode. I'm not sure where this would sit in the rankings of Season 4. I think it'll be in the top 10. But there are moments in this episode and performances that are top 3, and I would even say top ever. So regardless on where it sits in the rankings, this is an episode you don't want to miss. Thank you for coming aboard I really appreciate your time. If you would like to write into the show any questions, comments, concerns, you can do so at spongepodpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to follow the captain on social media at I'm Ready Podcast on Twitter or at Spongebob Podcast on Instagram, all of the links are in the podcast description below as well as the two best ways you can support the captain. If you're aboard and you would like to help support the ship here a little bit, you can do so, the best of which is by subscribing to the Captain Eric YouTube channel. You can hit that bell to be notified anytime the captain puts something out if you would like to, but otherwise, by just subscribing, 
it is the best means to show your support. But if you'd like to go the extra mile and show your support in another way, you can click on that Redbubble link in the podcast description below. There you'll find a bunch of different Captain Eric pieces of art that you can put on a multitude of different products. Stickers, hats, t-shirts, anything that you'd like, anything that comes in from my projects, go directly back into my projects, and it's always appreciated. Thank you to each and every one of you on the Ready Crew. If you're still listening to this and you're still aboard, think about sticking around. All of you are a part of my life and your time is always appreciated. Please, as always, stay safe, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Yeah, baby! This is it! Yeah! Woo! <laughs> yeah! I got it. I got it. My diabolical and extremely convoluted plan worked. I should have been a politician. <laughs> I never give you the formula. I fooled you with an even more convoluted charade. <laughs> yeah.